I'm Noam Chomsky. You're listening to CFMU 93.3. How do you like school, Billy? Close! Walking. Walking. Welcome to Radio Free School. places to walk. going by. Creighton Road's not as busy as Governess. Mm-hmm. Governess is the road I live on. It's really busy. It's as busy as a highway. Mm-hmm. So what's it, what's it like to walk um, along a road? Annoying. Why? Because of all the noise of the cars. Do you feel, what do you feel like when you're walking along a busy road? For anger of the cars. Do you see people when you walk? Well, a few once in a while. Okay. Bumps are pretty big. We are in the woods, and we are on the path leading downward into the place where you can't hear cars so easily. And we are just right beside the road, but on the path still. We're just off the road. I love the woods, walking in the woods, because it's so nice and quiet and pretty. Okay, so we've left, we've left the roadway, which is quite wide, and now we're in a little meadow beside a stream, or yeah. Spencer Creek. Beside a river, it seems. It's huge right now, and it's overflowed its banks a little. And the woods is a very nice place to enjoy life and take everything easy and forget about the road. Well, how wide is the footpath? Very, very small. And very nice to walk on, just like in the olden days in Frodo's time. Mm-hmm. Just about a foot wide. Yeah. 
A foot wide for a footpath, that makes sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> Now we're in um, a big field and I picked them a, one little tiny bit of flowers over there. Mm Compared to just about a couple weeks ago, this path has changed a lot, hasn't it? Yes. Oh. All the plants have grown and it's become all beautiful. Okay, so here we come to the end of the end of the trail, back yeah. into the cars uh, yeah. territory. Yeah, terra. That's the right word for it. Terra. <laughs> the terra. Yeah. Cars are terrorists. Okay, okay, let's go here. Okay. You are listening to Radio Free School. I went to the fair and it was so crowded, we had to go on the sidewalk where there wasn't so many people. Because at the fair then they close up the roads and everyone walks on the roads. So it's sort of crazy. <laughs> Normally, the people on the sidewalk, the cars go on the world. Yeah. But there wasn't any cars there. It'd be funnier if the cars went on the sidewalk. People went on the road. <laughs> well, if it was always like that, then I think the people in cars would rather have walking. So my name is Leila Baghdadi. I'm here with my friend Jonathan. And we did a hike on Dundas Valley. We went all the way to Webster's Fall. And we're on our way back. And we're trying to find out our car. So. <laughs> where, where did you Where did you come from? Uh, we came from Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Okay. And did, is this your first time in Dundas? Uh, no, I actually went to McMaster. I've done my undergrad, so I've been here, but I never went to Bruce Trail for hiking. So this is my first time hiking. Oh, okay. <laughs> and how did How did How was it? It was great. We loved it. The area is very beautiful, and it was fun. What, what do you think about the contrast between the trails and then like all the cars? Uh, it's a lot different. I think people should really get on the trails and try it because it's it's very different. So it's good. Okay. We loved it. Thank you. Great, thank you. I'm 
to write Wanderlust, A History of Walking. For years I kept writing about walking, which I do extensively, as a means of exploring places, and I thought that my real subject was always the places, and it took other people to point out to me that I was writing about walking so con- so continuously and so extensively that it would be possible to make walking the subject itself. And at first I was resistant because I thought, oh, walking, it's wholesome, it's Boy Scouty, it's it's all these things. And then I started thinking about how important walking has been to nonviolent revolutions, to street protests, carnivals, festivals, parades, commemorations, about all this sort of not-so-wholesome walking of street walkers and cruisers in the city, about the walks of poets and philosophers where they worked out their ideas, as I often work out mine. And I realized that walking was this amazing crossroads in which everything I was interested in intersected. And that was the genesis of my book, Wanderlust. Mm-hmm. And the book is pretty much that broad. I said if somewhere in it, if walking can be imagined as trespassing, then this book trespasses across everybody else's field in the course of pursuing its subject through anthropology and literature, political history, uh, and dozens and dozens of other subjects. It's a book that really kind of cuts across all kinds of fields. In this culture, we tend to think that our culture is natural, that who we are now is what we've always been. But if you look at a lot of things we consider normal, the structure of our families, the structure of our emotional lives and our imaginations, the way we relate to places, you can see that it has a very specific cultural history that it was created. And one of the things I think that was created is the way we relate to the natural world, the way we value it, and the way we act in it, which is not to say that other people didn't walk, other people didn't love nature, but they might have walked for different reasons. They might have loved nature in a very different way, as a sense of time and seasons, as animals, as things other than what we call landscape, that resonant word that really speaks so much about a kind of aesthetic experience of place and uh, sort of the vegetal and topographical world. And uh, so there really is a history of walking uh, in the Western world. And it's often talked about as though the Romantics were really the first ones to walk in this way, to want to walk in the natural world. But what they really did is they took this kind of 
pleasant promenade of the aristocracy in the garden out of the garden and made it available to everyone and made the aesthetic pleasure of gardens into the aesthetic pleasure of untrammeled, un, uh, domesticated spaces so that really people began to appreciate, to become connoisseurs of the, the wild landscape and to walk in it. And that in some ways is a sort of a small subjective and poetic change. But you can see laid in it the foundations for Thoreau, for John Muir, for the birth of the environmental movement, for an enormous number of the values that shape our lives and our politics today. One of the reasons I was really interested in the history of walking is that I'm an activist, and a lot of the activism I've participated in not only involves all the kind of lobbying and letter writing and education and uh, terrible, tedious indoor things that most of us do when we're activists, but it also involved a lot of marching and demonstrating and protesting in the streets, and so I'm celebrating and uh, parading in the streets. And I thought that was an enormously important part of democracy, that it was really kind of where people directly experienced themselves as the public. They directly experienced a sense of community. And in a lot of ways, it's enormously threatened. We're pretty clear now that we value these wide-open rural places, and we're pretty good at protecting them. Not good enough, but, you know, the idea is there. But we're not so clear about how important this urban public space is, this space in which we really experience what it means to be a member of the public, a member of the community, to have an unmediated voice with our fellow citizens. And I wrote the book partly to argue for the importance of that space. And the book was written a little while ago, but you can really see how powerful that space is when you look at the fact that 10 to 30 million people around the world is the estimate, although that leaves out all the small towns and places that didn't get counted. 10 to, 50, 10 to 30 million people at least marched on February 15th of this year to oppose the war in Iraq, the U.S. government's assault on Iraq, my government's assault on Iraq. And although we didn't stop the war, I think we really kind of ex experienced some extraordinary things, the temporary victory of no longer being silent and voiceless and alienated, and the possibility of a kind of global peace movement on a scale we've never seen before. You know, and that's all very heady, heady ideological stuff. But when you come back to what exactly was the form of this expression of 30 million people, and the form was pretty much standing outdoors and walking in, in public, and you start to realize that Democracy has a bodily basis, just as thinking and imagining have bodily bases, that our bodies are really uh, part of our intellectual lives, and that the disembodiment we experience with technology, with suburbanization, are really not just making us kind of passive and, you know, unhealthy, but they're also really changing our imaginations, our sense of place, and our sense of community. And I think walking is what's at stake, and walking is one of the ways to resist it also a means of resistance because a lot of what these technologies and suburbs and things and car-based cultures are about is convenience, efficiency, and acceleration. And I sometimes think of the world as a sort of factory, and one of the great forms of factory resistance, a factory strike, was a slowdown. I think doing things slowly, raising children well, making food from scratch, walking where you're going instead of driving are like a form of resistance, but a form of resistance that is already a victory because it's already a pleasure, it's already an experience in itself rather than a demand for an experience. So those are some of the ways I think about walking politically. Yeah, I wrote in Wanderlust 
If walking is an indicator species, the gym is a kind of wildlife preserve for bodily exertion. A preserve protects species whose habitat is vanishing elsewhere, and the gym accommodates the survival of bodies after the abandonment of the original sites of bodily exertion. Gyms kind of fascinate me, and it's not because I'm so holy and pure that I don't uh, do things like go to them, although now I do yoga. Um, but gyms fascinate me because essentially it's about we've created a world through the Industrial Revolution where most of us don't engage in strenuous bodily labor anymore. A lot of that is now done in the, the third world, the global south. And so we're left with these bodies that are no longer working, even if we're working for a living. And on top of that, we've created these spaces that are no longer that no longer are demanding. You know, we no longer walk to work; we drive to work, to school, to the store, to everything else. And even our kids spend more time watching TV indoors and being driven places, partly because parents are so afraid of what can happen to their kids, partly because TV's a babysitter. And in all these ways, I see that see us becoming very disembodied, and it's one of those weird first world privileges that's a pretty dubious privilege, a privilege that may not exactly be a reward. And so the future of walking, to me, really kind of goes in two directions. One is that all over the world people kind of aspire to this condition without thinking about what the trade-offs are. And you see uh, that suburbia, that car-based lifestyles, that streets without sidewalks, that dangerous intersections, that shopping malls that cannot be approached on foot continue to spring up. But even in the first world, there's a lot of wonderful pedestrian activist groups, um, alternative transit activists, uh, alternative ways of designing communities, um, uh, people like slow food advocates and things, looking at another way to do things. And, of course, the third world hasn't given people those privileges of becoming disembodied. And then when you see things, back to what was so significant this year, the 10 to 30 million people walking uh, for peace, that there still are places, that people still do remember this, that it still is a powerful thing. And so I think that the sort of consumer capital technologies and uh, marketing really encourage us to become disembodied and then to attempt to become re-embodied by buying more things. So you're in a funny position of rather than walking to work, which is the only form of free transportation there is, you drive to work and then you pay to go to a gym to make up for the fact that you didn't walk, and you go walk on a Stairmaster. And that's that's a funny model. And the Stairmaster uh, treadmill things fascinate me because they reduce walking from all the things that can be a rich imaginative experience and encounter with the world, a way to have a conversation with a friend, to the sort of alternate movement of the lower limbs and with a little cardiovascular side effect. But walking, I think, isn't really going away, even though it's being shoved to the sides. There are a lot of pilgrimages in North America, a lot of mountaineering places, a lot of bicycle activists. There are a lot of places in which I think that desire to be out in the world to have a richer and more complex experience, an experience where maybe you aren't exactly measuring your maximum cardiovascular heart rate, but you're experiencing all the immeasurable things of knowing where you are, of seeing the birds, of smelling the air, of seeing what's in the bakery today, of saying hello to people on the street, or you know, or seeing wildlife on the trail. All those immeasurable things are possible. So I think like most of our history, it's going in both directions at once. Things are getting worse. Things are getting better. You are listening to Radio Free School on CFMU. Jerusalem. 
And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O oh, clouds, unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. I'm Susan Thomas, and I've been a letter carrier for 29 years, walking. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about how it is to, to walk all day, pretty much all day? How, how long do you walk? It's, a, it's, it's approximately five to six hours of actual walking. The rest is uh, what we do inside. And uh, it's very difficult, actually. It's hard on your feet. I probably have walked around the world once, uh, but it is great exercise. So you have to wear good footwear. I wear orthotics, and uh, I have uh, regular appointments with um, a chiropractor to make sure that when I do walk, I'm walking correctly. Dogs are really a letter carrier's nightmare, <laughs> and I have had a very terrible attack by a pit bull. And at that point, I wanted to quit my job and never return. But it's like anything, uh, perhaps like a car accident, you might feel a little nervous again about driving, but the best thing you can do is to get right back at it, which I did do. I still have some apprehension about dogs, but I tend to deal with them on principle. Uh, the dog has to be secure or they don't get any mail. And if there's any threat at all to me, then the whole street can be cut off. And uh, so each individual piece of mail would be marked accordingly, and they would have to be responsible for for their dog. So, yeah, I follow that principle. Yeah. Yeah. How about weather? Walking all kinds of weather. You have to you have to appreciate uh, that that's part of the job. So uh, most people like to do my job when it's a beautiful sunny afternoon, and they look at the benefits of that. But uh, there are some definitely grueling days, very cold days. And uh, I have an excellent appetite. <laughs> and you're fit? Uh, basically, I think as far as heart rate is concerned, I probably have, I'm about um, twice the physical fitness of a woman my age. Yeah, I've been tested that way. But you're only as good as the weakest link. <laughs> so walking is good for everything. It's, a, it's also a good um, provider for stress release and good circulation so you know it can you can rid of headaches depression uh, all kinds of everyday things that people normally would have to deal with and walking is the cure for many many things so yes it's a it's a great job and of course I love physical activity that's why I did this in the first place but it's it's important today we're we're living in a very fast-paced world 
and you can very easily get caught up in that. Get any time to observe nature or anything on your absolutely, walks? Absolutely, absolutely. I have actually been in almost every walk here in Dundas and up in Greensville is a beautiful area. It's also very clean air. Uh, yes, I, I believe that uh, the Creator has given us a beautiful surroundings for us to observe and really it's um, it's a credit to him that if we don't observe that, then we really are showing a disrespect. I can have anything I want. Good for you and your father. So guess what I want? A new brain. No, your bike. <laughs> What's so funny, Pee-wee? It's not for sale. Today we watched Pee-wee's big adventure. It was fun. His bike was like a rocket. Francis is his bully. You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? 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 Infinity. Peavy's got this cool house. Well, whenever he goes down this pool or this engine set, then. His clothes suddenly, you can see his clothes. He always wears this grey suit with this red bow. And he brought, and he went to, ma to the magic store. And then he said to this dolly thing, um, how do you like school? And the doll said, closed. And then he got this the fake ear, and he put it on his real ear, and said, ah! Ah! <laughs> And then, 
he got trick gum a lot of things and then he went back to his bike but it was gone because Francis stole it and he said and he made this a piece of paper and he stuck it up it is his poster and he had red tape and he stuck it up and he wrote whoever returns this bike gets two thousand dollars and then he stuck it up and he said oh they return the bike then they don't deserve any reward <laughs> um it's really funny when he did an acrobat off his bike and he said to these boys I meant to do that did he really mean to do that I don't know I guess he didn't just he's just embarrassed so he said I meant to do that mm -hmm. and got on his bike and drove away that's my favorite part well not really my favorite part What's your favorite part? Um, I don't really know, but I'll tell you something. Well, about Peavy's big adventure. Well, he went on this track with this ghost, and the ghost made this funny face, and he thought it was scary, and I liked it. And when they finally pulled the driver's body from the twisted, burning wreck, it looked like this. <laughs> yes, sir. That was the worst accident I ever seen. The pet shop was on fire and he's afraid of snakes. So when he grabbed the snakes, then he fainted. He fainted outside on the sidewalk because he's scared of snakes. Well, Francis, he said, let's take a pic. How about we take a picture on your bike? And then he said, and Pee Wee had an idea. And then he said, okay. And then Francis got on, and, and Pee-wee pressed a button on the bike, and Francis went shooting up like a rocket off the bike. And Pee-wee got on his bike, and then he ran away. And I wish that my bike was like that. It was great. The end! <laughs> I'm gonna wrap myself in paper I'm gonna daub myself with glue Stick some stamps on the top of my head I'm gonna mail myself to you Contact Radio Free School at grassroots at hwcn.org or mail P.O. Box 19 1280 Main Street West Hamilton, Ontario, Canada L. 8S1CO
Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent you. <laughs>